Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name. It's good to be together to worship again. I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 again. If you all get tired of looking at the Sermon on the Mount, please tell me. It's been an interesting study for me and I hope for you. I'd like this morning to look at Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. I'll read those verses at this time. Again, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by the head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be, yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatever is more than these cometh of evil. In these number of verses, we have Jesus' teaching regarding swearing or using oaths. Thought as a starting point, first I'd maybe look at a definition of what an oath is or swearing. An oath is a solemn, usually formal calling upon God or a God to witness to the truth of what one says or to witness that one sincerely intends to do what one says or a solemn attestation of the truth or inviolability of one's words. So in other words, it's, it's a statement that's used to try to ensure truthfulness. In our society, we're familiar with an oath being required in a courtroom setting. When testimony is given, it's one example of where you would find the oath used. And it's used as an effort to ensure that the one testifying is telling the truth. In a more informal way than the courtroom setting or in law or something like that, an oath is used by people, by a person who is trying to establish with someone else that what they're saying is true or what they're saying they're going to carry out. So in essence, a person who swears an oath using God's name is, is calling God as their witness or as their judge or... Uh, saying that as God is truthful, so I will be truthful. Uh, 
calling upon a higher power to witness to their truthfulness. The swearing of oaths goes back to ancient times. In fact, the swearing of an oath is mentioned as early as the book of Genesis. And Jesus here refers to Old Testament scripture and and commands when he says here in verse 33 that ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old times, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thy oaths. And let's go read three different places in the Old Testament law where it speaks of this. The first is Exodus 20, verse 7, which you probably recognize as one of the Ten Commandments. It says that thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So there was a direct command that they weren't to use God's name in vain. Uh, we might typically think of using God's name in vain as using it lightly. Uh, in this setting of, of looking at swearing oaths, I think that that command is saying that don't swear using God's name and not fulfill it. That's, that's taking God's name in vain because what God says, he does. God doesn't go back on his word. God doesn't tell falsehoods. God doesn't lie. And so the Israelites were commanded not to take the name of the Lord in vain. Leviticus 19.12 says, and ye, and ye shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. So they were not to swear by, by God's name falsely. In other words, they weren't to invoke God's name and then not carry through with what they said. Numbers 30, verse 2, If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that, he pro- all that proceeded out of his mouth. So here in the Old Testament, we see that the, the carrying through of what was promised, of what was sworn was of utmost importance because they were swearing by God they were if if and if they didn't carry through they were dishonoring God so it's clear that God didn't want his people to swear an oath and not keep it Truthfulness is part of God's character. Like I said a little bit ago, God does not lie. Truth is his character. What he says, he will do. And God wants his people to be truthful as well. But yet we see in these verses, and and there's others that we could have looked at as well, that God allowed the swearing of oaths there in the Old Testament law.
But while God may have allowed swearing of oaths in the Old Testament, we have Jesus teaching here where he says that his followers were to swear not at all. He says whether the oath is in God's name or whether the oath is in something else other than God. He mentions here is heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or a person's head. The reason that Jesus mentioned these other things was apparently the Jewish people had taken this thing of of an oath and twisted it around to try to give themselves liberty. And they apparently had the belief that there were varying levels of collateral represented by different things that you might swear by. If someone swore by God, he was absolutely bound by that oath. But the lesser value of a thing that he swore by, the less bound that person was. So in other words, what they swore by determined how truthful they really had to be. He mentions swearing by your head. Uh, There were the Jewish rabbis who said that, you know, you could swear by something trivial and annul that oath in your heart as you made it, and then you weren't bound. So you could promise with some weak oath to do something with full intention of breaking your promise. But Jesus is saying here that whether you're swearing by God or heaven, which is God's throne, or the earth, which is God's footstool, or Jerusalem, which is where his temple was on earth, or by your head that you really have no control over, you're swearing by things that are God's. God owns and has made everything. So Jesus was saying that we need to not swear at all. We can't ensure truthfulness by simply uttering the words of an oath. And we can see as we look at this situation of Jesus' time, of how they had put different levels of value on different things they swore by, we can see that the oath there did not ensure truthfulness. It didn't fix the issue that it was trying to solve. The issue that the oath was trying to solve was the issue of dishonesty. The oath, the use of an oath, was to try to establish the truth. So, What does the need for an oath say about our normal human tendencies? 
It tells us that oaths were necessary because people tended to be dishonest. People tend to want to shade the truth or twist the truth to their advantage. And that's why the oath was important to society from clear back in the times, earliest times of Genesis, clear through to today. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart of man is naturally deceptive. All mankind is dealing with a fallen sinful nature and dishonesty and deception. Those tendencies are something that we all deal with on a certain level. And the oath was man's effort to find an answer to that problem of dishonesty. Man's effort to establish something that would would uh, that would establish the truth. What is truth? Jesus, in speaking to the Jewish leaders in John eight, told them where that tendency towards dishonesty comes from. John 8:44 says this, "Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it." So right here we have the source of falsehood and lying. It comes from the devil. Think back to the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden. When Satan came and tempted Eve, it was a lie. That's where it started. It started with the devil. He is the father of lying. And it's because of that fallen nature it's sinful nature that we all took on when our first parents, Adam and Eve, made that decision to listen to Satan's lie, made that decision to sin, we all took upon us the, that nature towards dishonesty. So when a person gives an oath, to confirm that they're telling the truth, what does that say? It says that if they're not swearing, you can't trust them. If they have to swear an oath to impress me that they're telling the truth, then can I believe them the rest of the time? It would seem to indicate that maybe they can't be fully trusted. 
In other words, they're identifying with the fact that they have a fallen nature. They're identifying with the fact that I struggle to tell the truth. That I have that tendency to shade the truth to my advantage. And admitting that they need to swear an oath in order to convince that this time I'm really, I really am telling the truth. Now, this might be a little bit of a side note. But I ask, have you ever considered that in our society, oaths, especially in a court of law, that type of a setting, are typically based upon God and his word. And I suspect that if someone has a high regard of high, high level of regard or fear for God and for his word and for breaking uh, God's word, an oath in God's name or a hand placed on a Bible might induce somebody to strive to be completely honest and truthful. But I've had to wonder in our society where so many people don't even know or care to know what is in the Bible and appear to have no desire to obey the Bible, they have no desire to know and obey God, that they're swearing by, how can swearing by God or his word ensure that that person is honest? Somehow to me it seems misguided to have a society that seems to be rapidly throwing God and his word and obedience to his word away, yet still placing value in swearing by God and his word. And I think that that little illustration, even though it might be a little bit of a side note, to, I think that it helps, might help us to understand Jesus' teaching here that a simple yes and a simple no told truthfully every time can carry more weight and be more effective than the person who, as the saying goes, swears with their hand on a stack of Bibles. Verse 37, here in Matthew 5, I'd like to read what that says in the New King James Version. It says this, But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And I ask, how much plainer can that be? Jesus telling us that we simply need to be men and women of our word. What we do, excuse me, what we say, we're going to do. 
as I've pointed out, there's nothing in an oath that necessarily guarantees truthfulness. So how much better it is to simply be known to speak the truth at all times. To speak the truth always and establish a reputation with those who we deal with and those who we rub shoulders with. Our friends, business acquaintances, etc. That we're truthful and we're honest. We can be trusted. Notice here that as I said earlier, Jesus points out that anything more than letting your yes be yes and your no be no is from the evil one. Like I said, an oath really identifies us with the realm of untruth, which is the realm of the evil one. Also, we can't consider this subject without a reminder that I've said this different times as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount but Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount to give us principles to live by that are in line with with God and his character they're in line with God's intention and plan for mankind sin marred the existence of humans We've been stained with with sin and the effects of it. And here Jesus is laying out in the Sermon on the Mount God's way, a better way. Since the fall of mankind in the Garden of Eden, Man has tried to deal with the effects in his own way. And the oath was man's attempt to deal with with deception and dishonesty. But here Jesus is laying out God's way. God's way is simply the way of truth. And I ask, as Christians, are we known for our truthfulness? It pains me greatly when I occasionally hear someone talk about a person who is a professing Christian. And they say that, well, you need to really take what that person says with a grain of salt. They have a reputation for not doing what they say or fat chance they're going to carry through with, with that based on their reputation. There's no room in the life of a born-again Christian for falsehood or for shading the truth. Now, I will admit readily that we all live in the flesh. And we deal continually with that fleshly inclination towards falsehood, towards 
twisting things a little to make them more favorable to us or to make me appear better than what I really may be. We all have that tendency. But that doesn't give us an excuse. That doesn't give us a free pass just because we have that tendency. If we realize that we've done any of these things, it's our responsibility as Christians to go and make it right, to apologize for not carrying out what we said, to fess up that maybe I did something that made myself look better than what I really am. To simply accept these things as normal is to accept Satan's ways as normal and acceptable. Now also, people like to deal with people that they know that they can trust. But we shouldn't be striving to be honest and trustworthy. People of our word simply for our own advantage, simply so that people think well of us, simply that so people want to do business with us. But rather our goal and, and truthfulness and honesty should be bringing honor and glory to God, having a desire to represent his way to the fallen world around us. Having a desire to distance ourselves from Satan's ways. I thought it was interesting. I had 2 Corinthians 5.17 here in my notes, and Daryl read that this morning. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're to be new creatures. We're to have left the old past behind. Move beyond the bondage. Jesus gives us the power to move beyond the bondage of sin that Satan brings to us and to live a life that's in line with God's plan for mankind, God's perfect plan. We live in a world marred by sin, but yet... God has given us the way to live above the, the ways of sin in the world. And that's not only for our own good. It is for our good, but it's for God's glory. It's a demonstration to the lost world around us that what God has to offer, what, what surrender to Christ brings. Now, another thing that I'd like to briefly consider this morning on the subject of oaths is the subject of minced oaths. Minced oaths is a term that I've heard of or heard used before and never put a lot of thought into until fairly recently 
and I think it was because I read something that spurred my mind. To mince something is to cut, chop. So a, a minced oath is an oath that has been cut or truncated or changed in some way. And did just a little bit of, of research, and I found this definition of a minced oath. A type of euphemism based on profanity or blasphemy that has been altered to remove the objectionable characteristics of the original expression. So in other words, it's, it's a statement, an oath, that's been changed so it sounds better. And you know, we hear, and maybe even use, some of these expressions without even thinking about what they mean, what they represent. You see, a minced oath it's something that doesn't maybe sound that bad, but it represents something that, according to this definition, is based on profanity or blasphemy. You know, that sounds pretty bad. These might not be oaths as we typically would think about swearing an oath in a court of law, but they're still an oath. Uh, a fairly innocuous one that I put down here and did a little research on is the term by George. People say, well, by George, I'm going to do such and such. When we say that, we're really swearing an oath. We're swearing by George, whoever that is, that we are going to do what we say. Now, who's George? Either the, the definitions that I found on that, either it is swearing to St. George, who was the pat patron saint of England, who lived in uh, approximately A.D. 300, or it's a minced oath replacing God with the word George. So, do you see where I'm going with that? It doesn't sound that bad on the surface, but it's still an oath. It's still swearing by someone else or by God's name. Also, in, in doing a little bit of research on that, I found a list of words, uh, or a list of minced oaths, a list of words and what they're replacements for. And it was somewhat eye-opening to see what some of these terms that I have used, I've heard other people use, what they really represent. And I just say that we do well to think about our words and what they mean and what they might represent. To make sure that our speech is in line with what Jesus said here. 
to let our yes be yes and our no be no. I also wanted to point out that Jesus' teaching here in Matthew 5 is not the only place in the New Testament that we're told to avoid using oaths. Another is found in James 5, where it says basically the same thing as what Jesus said. James 5, verse 12, But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, See, that rules, rules everything out, whether it's George or somebody else. But let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. I can't explain completely this, lest ye fall into condemnation. But we all know that so often when somebody swears to do something, they don't carry through. And I believe from what Jesus said and from, from the scriptures I read from the Old Testament law that God takes that very seriously when we swear to do something and don't fulfill it. And so he says, James says, lest ye fall into condemnation. So clearly God has laid out for us here in the New Testament as New Testament, excuse me, New Testament Christians, that he doesn't want his people to swear oaths. And you know, the world around us may not understand because it seems so normal to them to use an oath to establish the truth of a statement. But we're, we need to remember that we're not to follow the world's example and their expectations. We're following the way that Jesus laid out for us, for us to live. The way Jesus laid out drawing us back closer to God and his will for mankind. And as we live according to Jesus' teachings, I believe that we'll be blessed and that God will be honored and glorified. And so let's go forth determined to let our yes be yes and our no, no. Let's be careful with our speech. Let's be careful with, with what we say flippantly, uh, remembering that a lot of these things have, have meanings that we don't maybe fully understand. And so let's, let's be sure our speech mirrors what God would have for us, what Jesus taught us here in Matthew 5. May God bless you.